somewhere else, but they need to go. There you go. Give them one more hand there. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're going to look tonight at God created man. How many of you believe that God created you? Does anybody in here believe they came from a monkey? I want to have a monkey altar call in just a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you because God thought more of you than that. We're going to see that tonight. All right. Let's, uh, let's go right on. Uh, let's, let's pray first, and then let me, let me uh, recap a little bit, and then we'll get into Genesis tonight and the crown of God's creation, man. Father, we just thank you right now that the book of Genesis is true, that you gave us a historical account of the creation of man and the creation of all things. And we pray, Lord, uh, bring this home to us that we know it in our knower, in our innermost, innermost, that God created everything. And we thank you, Lord God, that you're a wonderful creator and you did a very good thing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God made you. God made you. All right, let me, uh, let me go ahead and just begin here. We've seen that the beginning of all things began with God. Who created the worlds and all that in them is. And how did God do it? By the spoken word. He spoke. God said, let there be and a butterfly appeared in the air. He said, let there be, and the stars were flung into space. He said, let there be, and you know what? Everything we see was made. God created it ex nihilo, something out of nothing, by the word of God. And so God completed his work in six 24-hour days. The six days of creation are grouped as follows. Here they are, just so we can kind of get it in our memory. The first day created light with no sun. First day was light. Second day, waters beneath, waters above, the sky. Day three, dry land, seas, and plants. Day four, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then day five, he populated all of that. Look what he did. Here comes the living things, that is, insects reptiles, mammals. So day five came the fish and the birds. Day six, the animals and people. And last time we talked about day five and six, the, uh, the water-dwelling or seafaring dinosaurs were created on day five when God made the fish. And then day six, you created the land dinosaurs. And the dinosaurs were primarily wiped out in Noah's flood. Now, if you want that from last week, I would go get that CD because here's what we saw last time that the dinosaurs were created on the fifth and sixth days according to whether they were land or sea creatures. That's Brontosaurus right there, I believe. Then we're going to see this time that God crowned his work with the creation of man. This is a powerful thing because this is where the enemy has so attacked our world. With the creation of man, where did we come from? Why are we here? Where does meaning and purpose come from? How do you have meaning and how do you have purpose if you weren't designed, if you weren't created, if you evolved from some single-cell amoeba that crawled out of some ancient primeval sea? How do you have meaning? You don't. 
You don't. No wonder so many people in our world commit suicide. What is there to live for? There's no purpose. There's no meaning. But God created us. First, the creation of man, I want you to notice this, marks the first variation of how God went about it. The Bible records in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, God said, let us, how powerful, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Elohim is the name used for God, let us make mankind in whose image? Now, who's the hour? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Powerful. So we're made in the image of God. This is the very first time that the phrase, let there be, is not used in the creation process. Instead, we have, let us make. With everything else, God said, let there be, and it was. But when it came to you and me, to man, God said, let us make. One commentator writes this, to enhance the dignity of this last work and to mark the fact that man differs from the animals, Scripture represents God as closely deliberating over the making of the human species. As a matter of fact, Genesis presents God calling the other two members of the Trinity to center all their attention on this event. Let us, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us come together. Let us make man, not let there be, let us make. So that right there tells you and I tonight that we are very different from the rest of creation. God didn't do that with anything else. And look at all that he made but when he came to mankind. Special attention. We were made in his likeness. In the likeness of God. Boy, that gives you value. That gives you value. Now next we see that man was not created like the animals, okay? He just was not. In his nature, in his person, his personality, in his moral and spiritual capacities, in his emotions, intellect, conscience, and will, man stands apart from the brute creation. We are not evolved from animals. We stand apart. Think about this. What animal can transmit accumulated achievements from one generation to another? Can your dog do that? Can your cat do that? Can your pet hamster do that? No way. What animal experiences a true sense of guilt when it does wrong or has a developed consciousness of judgment to come? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, my dog knows when he's made a mistake. And I thought that too. But have you noticed how quickly it passes away? They're not thinking about it an hour later, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. It's very brief. But we will go a whole lifetime afraid of judgment. What animal shows any desire to worship God? What animal has hope of immortality beyond the grave? Hmm? Nope. What beast can exercise moral judgment or show appreciation of the beauties of nature? You know, when it snowed recently... And we went outside. I took, of course, I took my dog out. And we went for a walk at midnight because it looked like daytime out there. So I wanted to go out there and just walk because I knew I'd never see it again in Texas, more than likely. 
My dog did not stop and go, wow, look at this. This is so rare. All he knew was he loved jumping in it, but there was no ability to say, wow, to appreciate it, to think to himself, I'm never going to see this again. They don't have that ability. When did you ever see a dog admiring a sunset or a horse standing breathless before the awesome sight of a mountain range? They can't do it. God gave that only to you and to me. Animals cannot read or write. They can't act with deliberate purpose. They can't set long-range goals for their future. They can't cook, sew, or use tools. They cannot speak or write. They're purely instinctual. That's it. They don't ponder. They don't conceptualize. They can't do it. Only we can. Man stands alone. God said, let us make. Let us make. And he put special time, special attention, special effort. Physically, he alone, man, of all the creatures on the globe, walks upright. Mentally, he alone has the ability to communicate in a sophisticated manner. Nothing else can do it. They still can't get a chimpanzee to really do it, not speak like we can. Spiritually, catch this, he alone has the capacity to know the mind and the will of God. You as a person, as a human being alone, were created by God to be able to contact him in your spirit and walk with him. No other creature can do that. Commune with him. Look what it says in verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image and likeness of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. God is three-part. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are three-part, body, soul, and spirit. We were created to fellowship with God, and this is one of the most powerful aspects of human beings. Man was created as a being with whom his maker could visit and have fellowship and communion. I feel sorry for my animals that they cannot do this because I enjoy fellowshipping with God in the spirit. But that's because I'm a human being, so I have a spirit that is eternal. You had a beginning, but you have no end because God breathed into you a spirit, gave you a spirit that is eternal. God had no beginning and no end, but you had a beginning, but you have no end. You will never end, according to the Word of God. The Bible vividly describes the level of fellowship the first couple enjoyed with God. Think about this. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God because they had sinned. But look at this now. Apparently, the fellowship of the first couple with God had been so real that the sound of him walking in the garden was normal. Isn't that powerful? And thank God that through the Holy Spirit, we can commune with him every day, Every hour of every day. That's why get into the Word of God always. Stay in it. Stay in the place of prayer. Have a devotional time because you are hardwired to commune with God. And without it, 
If you don't do that, no wonder people are going crazy. I cannot imagine living in this world disconnected from God. Can't imagine it. He also gave us the power of choice. We're told that man was given the awesome power of choice to the point of being able to disobey his creator. And the Lord God commanded the man, the Bible says, saying, you may free, uh, freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and blessing and calamity, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely, certainly die. There was one thing they couldn't touch, and leave it up to people, they touched it. And they ate of that tree. So, Pastor Jeff, do you believe it was a literal tree? I really do believe it was a little, literal tree. I have no reason to not believe that. And it had to do with wanting to be like God. And they did it. They had choice. They had the power of choice. Having prepared man's domain for him in the first five and a half days, when it comes to the creation of man, God now presents that domain to him. Everything that God created was making the way for you and I to inhabit the planet. Powerful. This incredible presentation of creation to Adam and Eve consisted of crowning Adam in three ways. First, God bestowed upon Adam a posterity. The Bible says that God said to him, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Now from Adam and Eve, the whole human race would spring. Who are your distant descendants? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. What other choice is there, I ask you? Adam is seen throughout the Bible as the federal head of the human race, so that when the head of the human race fell, we were all infected with the sin. And it is here, it's here with the creation of men, creation of human beings, and Adam and Eve, where evolution launches a critical attack on the Word of God. And I mean, it's been major. Evolution denies an original man from which all others have descended. Uh, let's be clear, when we say evolution, let me tell you what I mean by evolution. I'm not speaking of change and variation within species. It's not what I'm talking about. Because God gave species the ability to experience variation and change. We see this with our own eyes, such as in the development of new varieties of dogs through selective breeding. So within a species, there can be change. I'm not talking about that when I talk about evolution. We're referring to naturalistic evolution, what your kids are taught in the school. I'm going to be bold tonight. What they are lied to about. What they are lied to about. Because it's never been proven. Well, let's just look at it tonight. I hope to kind of blow evolution out of the water a little bit tonight. Uh, naturalistic evolution is the theory that the universe came into being billions of years ago. It might have been trillions of years ago. From some primordial explosion, big bang. And all things have slowly evolved over the eons from the simpler to the more complex, including all life forms on earth and including man himself. That's what evolution, naturalistic evolution, teaches you, teaches me, and teaches our children. 
And I want you to see here that that cannot be. But let's be sure we understand what we're talking about when we say evolution. We all evolve from simpler life forms into more complex through the process of evolution. All right. The person who accepts the Genesis account believes it happened more like the slogan seen on some Christian t-shirts. I believe in the Big Bang. God said it and bang, it happened. Now that's the way we believe it because we believe in a supernatural God. He's not a myth. He's not a fable. If you believe in God, then you must believe that he is truly God. And if he is truly God, then he speaks and it is. And that's the big bang. Okay. But now when we come to uh, naturalistic evolution, what you have is you have blind faith in blind chance. Think about it with me. Evolution consists of blind faith in blind chance over endless periods of time. And it's a religion. Evolution has become a religion. Just like global warming has become a religion. That means I put faith in something I can't prove. I put blind faith in something that's never been proven. So you've got to take a leap of faith to believe in naturalistic evolution. There's nothing to support it. Now, put another way, time plus blind chance equals the universe and everything in it. Time plus blind chance. There you have naturalistic evolution. Now, let's consider that formula a moment and see how it holds up. Think about it. Zoologists have recorded an amazing 20,000 species of fish. Now think about this for a minute. Time plus blind chance produced what we're about to read. Follow me. 20,000 species of fish. Each of these species has a two-chambered heart that pumps cold blood throughout its cold body. There are 6,000 species of reptiles. They also have cold blood. But theirs is a three-chambered heart, except for the crocodile, which has four. It just happened. Let's go on. The 1,000 or so different amphibians, frogs, toads, and newts, have cold blood and a three-chambered heart. There are over 9,000 species of birds from the massive Andean condor, with its wingspan of 12 feet. Can you imagine seeing one of those dudes? 12-foot wingspan. To the tiny hummingbird whose heart beats 1,400 times a minute, each of those 9,000 species has a four-chambered heart. Left and right atrium, left and right ventricles, just like humans. But there's no designer. It just happened in time and blind chance. And the 15,000 species of mammals also have a pumping four-chambered heart, which faithfully pumps blood throughout a series of intricate blood vessels to the rest of the body. Stop and think about this, because I'm about to ask you a question. You who believe in evolution or who aren't sure yet, you're on the fence. 
You know what the Bible says, but you know what you've been taught, and you're a little bit confused. Let's just look at this for a minute. Which do you think came first, the blood or the heart? And why? What came first? Say, here sits blind chance and eons of time, and chance says, wow, either blood came before the heart, so said chance, I need a heart to pump the blood. Give me enough time, said blind chance, and I'll create a heart to pump the blood. Or the heart came first. And the heart said, I need something to pump. So evolution said, I'm going to give you blood. Are y'all there? Now, did the heart in all these different species of fish, reptiles, birds, and mammals evolved before there were blood vessels throughout their bodies? Oh yeah, we forgot about the blood vessels. So here's the heart and here's the blood kind of hanging overhead the body, but it, it, the blood had nowhere to go. So evolution, blind chance, created blood vessels to give the blood somewhere to go while the heart pumped it. When did the blood evolve? Was it before or after the vessels evolved? Well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The blood vessels or the heart? Do y'all see where I'm going with this? Do you see how logically preposterous it is to think that time plus blind chance swooped in over eons of endless time and this intricate, beautiful, complex, and we're just talking about animals. Which came first, the heart or the blood or the vessels? If it was before, what was it that carried blood to the heart if there were no vessels? Did the heart beat before the blood evolved? Why was it beating if there was no blood to pump? If it wasn't beating, why did it start when it had no awareness of blood? Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I just believe some blood is coming. Ba-boom, ba-boom. Let me warm up. Now, I'm just saying we're talking about, we're talking about time plus blind chance. If the blood vessels evolved before there was blood, why did they evolve if there was no such thing as blood? And if the blood evolved before the heart evolved, what was it that caused it to circulate around the body with no heart? Evolution just moved it. No. Clearly these had to appear. Listen. They had to appear simultaneously at the same time because they're all interdependent on each other. So how, with time and blind chance, did unseen forces, apathetic, non-human, non-thinking, non-logical, chance construct a heart and blood vessels and blood. 
The incredible human body and the bodies of all the other creatures consist of so many amazingly interdependent parts, a heart, lungs to oxygenate the blood, kidneys to filter waste from the blood, blood vessels, arteries, blood, skin to protect it all, and so on. It all had to come at once. Or none of it works. The intricate codependence of just the respiratory system and the circulatory system, not to mention all the other bodily systems, is difficult to explain. And all of this happened with time plus blind chance. Unlogical, unthinking, non-intellectual, non-IQ, just things blowing around, created heart, blood vessels, lungs, kidneys, liver, all interdependent on one another. Well, let's talk about the eye. Consider the human eye. Man has never developed a camera lens anywhere near the inconceivable intricacy of the human eye. Never has happened. The human eye is an amazing interrelated system of about 40, think about this, 40 individual subsystems, including cells that look like tiny rods, which handle the black and white vision. The other 7 million are cone-shaped and allow us to see in color. The retina cells receive light impressions, which are then translated into electric pulses and sent directly to the brain through the optic nerve. Time? plus blind chance. That's a lot of faith in time. That's a lot of faith in chance. A special section of the brain called the visual cortex interprets the pulses as color, contrast, depth. See, here's what I always used to wonder. If all this evolved through trial and error and the survival of the fittest and so on and so forth, where's all the mistakes? Where are they? Where's the mistakes? Where's the, you know, the one-eyed things and the, the cyclops-looking people? And where's the, where's the eyes that didn't make it? Where's the bones that didn't make it? Where's the bodies that didn't make it? Where are they? Do you realize trillions of years you would need for just the eye? And it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Time and chance? You got faith, brother. Incredibly, the eye, the optic nerve, and the visual cortex are totally separate and distinct subsystems. Think about this. Yet together they capture, together they capture, deliver, and interpret up to 1.5 million pulse messages per millisecond. No wonder David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and he didn't know what we know now. Think about that for a moment. It would take dozens of computers programmed perfectly and operating together flawlessly to even get close to performing this task that your eye can do. It's doing it right now. I thought my eye was messing up on me a little while ago. I kept seeing white flashes. I said, oh, Lord, help me. She was taking pictures behind there. <laughs> but even my eye caught that. 
out of my peripheral vision. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. Now, the eye is an example of what is referred to as irreducible complexity. It would be statistically impossible for random processes operating through gradual mechanisms of genetic mutations and natural selection to be able to create 40 separate subsystems when they provide no advantage to the whole until the very last state of development. So once again, with your eye, what came first? And oops, well, said evolution, it's going to need 40 subsystems for it to work. God said, let us make man. Ask yourself how the lens, the retina, the optic nerve, and all the other parts that play a role in seeing not only appeared from nothing, but evolved into interrelated and working parts. Couldn't happen. It is impossible. Yet your children are going to be told that that's what happened. And they won't let creationism in the school. When I Take away faith. Take away religion. Logically, I can't arrive at that. Evolutionist Robert Jastrow acknowledges that highly trained scientists could not have improved upon blind chance. The eye appears to have been designed. No designer of telescopes could have done better. How could this marvelous instrument have evolved by chance through a succession of random events? Many people in Darwin's day agreed with theologian William Pauley who, who uh, commented, there cannot be a design without a designer. You and I are obviously designed. We are not happenstance. We are designed. And that's just talking about the eye, and that's just talking about the heart. There's so much more. Even Charles Darwin admitted, do you, do you know this? He admitted the incredible complexity of the eye. Uh, on, in his book, On the Origin of Species, what he said, quote, Darwin said this, quote, to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances for emitting different amounts of light and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Such a viewpoint is flatly ruled out by the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. Instead of the impersonal hand of evolution with its unending ages of time and blind chance, we have the simple and majestic statement that God created all things. It's the only thing that makes sense. Well, then, Pastor, I was duped in school. Yes, you were duped. That's right. You ought to at least be given the chance to choose. At least be given the chance to choose. Now, the scriptures are meaningless without Genesis 1. Let me talk about the importance here of um, if we cut Genesis 1 from the Bible, Genesis 1 being the creation, creation of man and everything else, you're going to have to tear out Romans 5, which treats Adam as an undeniable historical fact. Did we come from Adam and Eve? Yes, we all did. What does the Bible say about it? If you get rid of Genesis 1, you've got to tear out much of the New Testament, 
And let me just show you what would happen when Adam sinned. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5. You'd have to tear out that chapter. Because Romans 5 says when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. So obviously Paul fully embraced the reality of Adam and the Holy Spirit was the writer of the Bible. Adam's sin, the Bible goes on to say, brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Still, everyone, this is all from Romans 5, still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as who did? As Adam did. So the New Testament substantiates the, the testimony of the old, and it goes on. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, look what he's doing. He's pointing us constantly to Adam, explaining why we are born in sin. He's telling us the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, over and over again. Here he goes again. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, that being Jesus Christ, the second Adam, many will be made righteous. So over and over again in Romans 5, and you would have to tear out Romans 5 if you did away with Genesis 1. See, you can't do away with Genesis 1. It, it renders the rest of your Bible hugely problematic. Clearly, if there were no Adam, then the Bible is false. Romans 5 is only a myth. And we have no salvation if Genesis 1 is wrong. If there were no Adam, then Jesus was sadly mistaken. He said, quote, haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator, the Creator, made them male and female? So Jesus embraced Genesis 1, but guess what? If Jesus was wrong, then he was not the Son of God. But the fact is that God began with Adam and declares that the human race sprang from him. Amen. So that's the way it is, folks. Now, the second thing quickly, God crowned Adam with a position, not just a posterity, but a position. He said, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. I'm making you the master of the world. That's what God said to Adam. He gave him a position. God gave Adam the position of mastery over his creation, and it's been so ever since. Despite the impairment of his potential, fall, uh, of his potential from the fall, and we were impaired, and folks, uh, the human race is impaired. The human race is in deep, deep trouble right now because of sin. The human race would totally wipe itself out if not for the intervention of Jesus Christ in the future. Because we are born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We fell with Adam. That's all there is to it. That's the facts. So, even though his uh, potential was impaired. Man has nevertheless been a mover of mountains, a builder of dams, a digger of mines, and a conqueror of the planet. He has subdued the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then finally, God crowned Adam with a possession. A posterity, a position, and a possession. Then God said, look, I have given you, look what God says, every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Would you notice with me that the animals were first created vegetarians? I have given every green plant as food for the wild animals. That makes me feel better when I see a deer attacked by a lion, that that wasn't God's original plan. Um, well, it's quiet in here after that one. What, is, what possession did God give him? God gave him everything. Didn't the Bible say he gives you richly all things to enjoy? Didn't that say that about God? So, it is inconceivable for us to fully imagine what Eden was like before the fall in all of its pristine beauty, unspoiled and untainted, the purest oxygen ever breathed, the world utterly untouched by evil or corruption. God gave to Adam an indescribable possession, and he blew it. And the second Adam is about to restore it. Second Adam is about to restore it. Then God looked over all that he had made, and now here we go. Instead of saying it was good, what did he say? It was very good. Look at your neighbor and tell him, very good. God did a very good job with you. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And what did God do on the seventh? He rested. We're going to talk about that next time. Uh, when man fell, God's rest was interrupted. And so we're going to look at that next time, the fall of man. Don't miss it. Let's stand together, can we? God's rest interrupted. Next time. How many of you realize that what we went over tonight, it's the truth? I mean, it just makes sense. And, you know, I'm the kind of person, I like answers that aren't just religious, but God does not mind scrutiny. And it's just logical. That we were created. You are designed. And God designed you with a purpose. Life begins when you plug into that purpose. Father, we just thank you tonight that you're the mighty creator God. And you have created all things and you said they were good. But when you made man, you said very good. And you put special attention special effort, special focus. And Lord, because of that, we've got a body, soul, and a spirit, a spirit that is able to fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord, for touching us with your life and giving us fellowship restored through salvation and the indwelling Holy Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, can we just sing one worship stanza to him? So good. Just worship him now, everybody.